And welcome everyone to what should be an extremely fun edition of BAMS Radio here on this Sunday as the Alabama Crimson Tide rally with their best second half of the season as they are able to defeat the University of Tennessee for the 16th time in 17 tries under Nick Saban. He's now 16-1. and one. Certainly, it was one of the worst first halves of the year as Alabama, as is pointed out on the broadcast multiple times, had not trailed by 13 at the half since the infamous Tua game in the national championship game in 2017 as Alabama won that national championship with a comeback from the ages from 13 to nothing to win 26-23 in overtime. And Alabama comes back in this game to win 34 to 20, outscoring the Vols 27 to nothing uh, in what was just an outstanding second half. And uh, uh, we'll talk about that and talk about the adjustments this coaching staff made. But we certainly saw a lot of growth out of this team. Uh, we'll certainly talk about the struggles of the first half, which were maddening to say the least. Uh, but I will say this is probably the only com- compliment I will give Tennessee. Uh, I thought their coaching staff and Josh Heifel, I thought, they came out and had had a great plan the first half. I thought they got, uh, you know, uh, it, Joe Milton in rhythm uh, with their east-west and, you know, the quick game, the passing game. And then I thought his receivers helped him out in the first half with two great catches, including one from the guy down the road who had an outstanding game, Squirrel White. He made a great, uh, you know, fingertip catch in the end zone. I didn't think he was going to make it. And when it first happened, I thought it was out of bounds, but it was an absolutely good, great catch uh, by that young man. And they led 20-7 to at halftime. Things looked bleak until Alabama came out in the second half, quickly reestablished themselves, and played their best quarter of the year, uh, not to mention best half in that third quarter, where uh, they led 24-20 to by quarters in and then dominated the fourth quarter 10 to nothing as well on their way to that huge win over the Tennessee Vols. And we're going to talk about it with my two cohorts, Thomas the Wizard Watts from the Port City of Mobile. He keeps us on the air. He does a great job. He's going to have some uh, very interesting things to say about this matchup. And, of course, from 89 to 93, uh, a guy that's a national champion, William Redfish Barger, who played in this uh, storied rivalry and, of course, had a lot of success during his time at the Capstone. Well, William, uh, quite a comeback for Alabama and one that I will say uh, when it was 20 to 7 at halftime, uh, didn't seem too optimistic that that's what was going to happen. But certainly that's why you play the game. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, the when you factor in that both sides of the ball had to make adjustments and, and, and made the right ones, um, you know, certainly the best. Um, you know, coaching adjustments I've seen in several years because um, nothing was working really on either side of the ball. Um, you know, I think for, um, you, you know, you already alluded it, alluded to it, um, talking about Josh Heupel. You know, I think he's probably at the Steve Sarkeesian level um, right now as far as being able to script um, and, and scheme um, and certainly seems to be comfortable doing it against the Nick Saban defense. So, you know, they, you know, fortunately, um, you know, the, the coaches were able to shut them out in the second half and scoring points. Uh, that was great. You know, on the other side of the ball, 
Uh, looked like they dug a little bit deeper in the playbook. Um, you know, Jalen Milrow was a willing runner. Um, you know, saw at least one zone read that he probably would still be running up to Northport on right now. Then yeah. um, the second half where he gave it to the running back and there was absolutely nobody outside on the left side of the line of scrimmage. But, um, you know, he, re- he re- uh, rebounded from an abysmal first half. Um, played well, made throws when they needed him to in the second half. But to me, um, I, I thought the the player of the game was number sixty five, J C Latham. Nice. Um, and, and I have I have no idea why the D- Tennessee defensive coordinator was highlighting Pierce um, against sixty five for the most part of the first half. But it was a terrible decision. Uh, Latham mauled him. And uh, just, just had an outstanding football game yesterday. I, to me, the 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 mindset that's really kind of left a sour taste in my mouth for this season was some was some personnel decisions. Uh, you know, the taste got a little bit sweeter yesterday. I was very pleased and excited after um, Jaden Roberts went down with that knee injury, and and you know, once he was willing to come back and able to come back. You know, they put him back in there at right guard and put 71 back on the bench where he belongs. Um, I think 77 has is, is become a very integral part of this offensive line and it's probably one of the reasons why they had their best game of the season yesterday. Yeah, there was still some sacks given up, uh, but at least two of them wasn't the offensive line's fault. So, you know, all in all, I thought it was a great team victory. Um, you know, I, 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 I would hate to see – um, how good Jihad Campbell can play in, in, in 2024 when he's not two months removed from having a knee procedure done. He was an ant. You know, I think uh, Campbell and Lawson combined um, for like 21 or 22 tackles yesterday, you know, sacks, scoop and score, tackles for loss. I mean, it was just a great performance by that inside and out line, outside linebacker core. Um, just, you know, just a good team win. I think it was a you know, a half of football that seemed to rejuvenate the fan base. Um, you know, Brian Denny sounded on the television set, at least. I know you were there, Drew, but it sounded like it was rocking, um, you know, caused problems. Uh, you know, probably played a, a small hand in all those short yarded stops that the defense was able to get yesterday. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I don't know how you can go from – and, you know, and this is something that I think Alabama really needs to focus on and concentrate on. You know, the, the, you know, there's really three things that, that an off week is designed for. One, uh, you know, to rest and, and recuperate, you know, get the little dings and nicks healed up. Um, you know, two, it gives you a, uh, a, you know, some extra time to prepare typically for one of your more difficult opponents of the season. And, uh, you know, three, um, to, to get better and, and, you know, continue that. But that's what you want to see. And I think that's what's been so frustrating to me. You know, this isn't the first, you know, abysmal first half of football. No. Um, there's been, you know, you know, there's been, you know, Old Miss, Texas A&M, uh, Arkansas. And, you know, you, you turn on the TV set the following Saturday and you're like, okay, just pick up where you left off. And, and that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, I think if this team wants to 
you know, get to where it wants to go, which is the SEC championship game and winning the West, that, that they've got to rectify that. I'm not saying they've got to be perfect, but, you know, you just can't continue to go out there and turn the ball over, go three and out, um, you know, keep putting the defense back out on the field when they're not rested. And, and so to me, I think that's the number, should be the number one goal you know, going into this off week before LSU is just figure out how a way to start the damn game the same way that you finish it. Yeah, I would agree. And I'm going to pump uh, piggyback on a little bit. I know you talked about Jaden some, but um, I thought it showed a lot of toughness that he came back out there when he was hurt. William, I thought he might be definitely out for the game, if but maybe out for a while, but obviously he came back. And I was specifically kind of watching the replays, and I know you've been talking about it for a few weeks, but his pass protection, he was just stoning guys. And I still think he, with Ian Booker inside uh, and McLaughlin, now I know McLaughlin had a couple of snaps that weren't great. I think one of them may have been Milrose's fault because they weren't on the same page as far as the cadence goes. Now, one of them was low, and Milrose did a good job of scooping it, no doubt about that. But I just, you know, to me, I, I know people are kind of frustrated with the running game at times, and I thought I liked the way Rees buried it up with the speed sweeps to Kendrick Law, and then they did some tosses outside the the uh, the uh, off the, the tackles to kind of slant everything outside and some zone read. But I just think overall, look, man, you know the old everybody knows the Lou Gehrig Wally Pip story, and I and I hate it for Dal Court and for uh, T.J. Ferguson. But I don't think you can take Roberts out of the lineup at this point. Now, one other thing, too, before we get back to Roberts that I want to add is, is you know, and it wasn't near enough to satisfy my sweet tooth uh, for it, but, but they rolled Milrow out some as well and moved the pocket. Yes. Um, yes that, that, was, uh, yes. that was an improvement. And, yes. and they, were, they looked effective and comfortable doing it. But right. uh, Roberts is, if you'll go back, um, you know, for the – listeners that are listening to this show um, and you really don't even have to watch the whole game just go back and watch the highlight reel you know the way he and Latham were handling the twist and the stunts yesterday and and passing them off you know the one of them would deal with the penetrator while the other one waited for the looper to come around I mean they they dish that off and handle it especially in the second half about as well as you can ask and uh, you know it's just the, the guy's got it. You know, all he needs is more game reps. He's a freaking scary-looking swamp monster. <laughs> got good length. You know, got good – I mean, you know, he's definitely one of the first five guys you want off that bus. Um, but, you know, he's got great length, moves his feet well, and, uh, you know, plays with a nasty streak. And, uh, you know, that's – that's uh, and, and to be honest with you, you know, I, I think they got three guys right now, you know, Booker, him, and J.C. Latham um, that, that are playing at an extremely high level. Um, they make things look easy and fluid. You know, Seth, you know, he, he's, he's just doing okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling for a, a change there, but, you know, the snaps are still all over the place. You know, he's, and I don't know if this is from the weight gain or whatever, but he gets overextended. Um, one of the plays that Dalcourt was in yesterday was a passing play, and it, 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 it was a shit show because both of them uh, play with their weight too far forward. 
Um, and, you know, and Proctor, you don't hear me complain very much about him because I just think he's playing a position he's not physically capable of playing, um, at least right now. Uh, but yesterday was his best game from a, um, you know, run and, and, and pass blocking uh, standpoint. I mean, I think Pierce only, um, you know, got him that one time. But, but no, nah, man, Jaden Roberts is a, is a stud pony in the making. Um, hopefully this, uh, you know, the off week will get that knee, you know, healed up in time to be full speed against uh, LSU. But, you know, those three guys, um, you know, two guys that were mentioned with, uh, uh, you know, preseason accolades is, you know, a prediction for how they were going to play this year. And then the right guard that was third team right guard less than a month ago. So um, it, it was good to see the coaching staff figure that piece of the puzzle out. You know, it's, I was very concerned that once, you know, Dow court or T Ferg or both, um, you know, got back to 100%, you would see, you know, Roberts get pushed back down the the train track, so to speak. But he's, he's I think he's got that position. I think he's got the coach's trust. And, you know, you, you don't have to be Joe Moore to watch the games and see that he's a physical upgrade. Yeah, there's no question about that. And uh, I just thought Alabama did a great job of burying things up. They dominated the game on the ground the second half, McClellan. <laughs> Had probably his best game of the year. I thought he ran hard and with and with purpose. And in the second half, Alabama executed. And really, by the end of the, the second, in the latter part of the second quarter as well, the red zone execution was a lot better. Uh, and I think a big part of that was uh, Milrow running the football too, because I think it gave Tennessee something else to have to deal with. And so overall, I just thought it was uh, Tommy Reese's best game, Milrow. I just hope they, like William says, they they can build on it. And Thomas, uh, you know, we what uh, we are certainly enjoying the hell out of you know this 16th out of 17th beatdown. But I mean, it, they're going to have to start much much faster in play. They got to put four quarters together against LSU just simply because of the firepower LSU has. Well, right, Drew, and. You know, LSU is coming to town in two weeks, and we can certainly talk about that game. We're going to spend a vast majority of next week talking about it. But make no mistake, if LSU doesn't have the best offense in the country, they have a top five offense. And they can beat you in a variety of ways, at a variety of levels, doing a variety of things. And, uh, you know, if it was that it, – put it to you this way – you can't expect the Alabama defense to hold that LSU offense to 20 points and a half if the circumstances are duplicated in two weeks. It's just not right. going to happen. Now, I frankly don't think the LSU defense has a prayer of holding Alabama under 30, but that's a whole other thing. But going back to this game, I don't know where this version of Joe Milton was for the Tennessee team throughout the year, but my heavens – his first half was unreal, just unreal. Really, his first quarter. He, he cooled down, and he never really got fired back up. I think one of the crazier stats of the game is Tennessee had about 190 yards, 175, 190 in the first quarter, and 404 for the rest of the game. That's pretty wild. I think the Alabama defense continues to do yeoman's work. They're put in really bad situations more often than they should. And that comes down to execution. Look, do I think Tommy Reese does some boneheaded things? Certainly. 
I think every coach and every player does some boneheaded things, particularly when it comes to play calls. But there's also an execution element. And there were four or five zone reads called, and I think Jalen Milrow executed one of them properly. So can we please put to bed the notion that Jalen Milrow needs to be a running quarterback first? He needs to run with the ball on broken plays, which a few times he did, and lo and behold, it worked. But the zone read game ain't Jalen Milrow's game. But, you know, here's the stuff you really like to see if you're an Alabama fan. There's no quit in this team. You know, it's going to take a lot to kill them. You know, we saw Texas do it. We saw Tennessee try. And we know LSU is going to try in a couple of weeks, Drew. But they're going to keep playing. They're going to keep pushing. And I don't think you really have much to complain about when, you know, Joe Milton throws for 271 for one of his best games of his career. And otherwise, the the running backs as a crew go get under 75 yards. And... Milton has the most at 59. I think that's yeoman's work for the defense. I think the offensive line, as you've both said, is getting better. Do I think it is that world-ending kind of destruction that uh, we expected walking into this year? Quite frankly, no. It is not that. But it is certainly not the disaster it was early. And What's tantalizing about this team is, you know, you can yell and scream about all the bad stuff that happens, and there have been some bad things that have happened to this team. They're so close. Now, some of the stuff is baked into the cake. You know, Jalen Milrow over the middle is going to throw it high. That's just going to be the thing. But other things are coachable, and other things are fixable. And after what would be described as a rough September, including that loss to Texas, and some inconsistent performance, this Alabama team is not that far off. And, you know, don't look now, but, you know, Alabama fans, you get to take a week off. All your fall weddings and all of the other nonsense, you can do that this Saturday. Though why you have a fall wedding in this state, like, I have to ask, why do you hate your friends? But, you know, go have your nuptials and keep your mouth shut because, uh, yeah. But anyhow, if you're if you're not going to that elusive fall wedding, take a look at Georgia. You know, Georgia's the prohibitive favorite to be coming out of the SEC East. We don't know what this offense is about to look like without Brock Bowers, because Brock Bowers is essentially a black hole. He pulls the entire defense to him. So what happens when you don't have that guy doing, you know, that guy things in the middle of the field? We don't know. And so, you know, for all of the frustration with Alabama, circumstances are not completely out of control. And Alabama has the entire season in front of them still. You know, you beat Georgia in the SEC title game. Should Well, you beat LSU. You get to Atlanta. You beat Georgia. You're in the college football playoff, and then we'll see. Because, you know, Michigan is just pounding teams into the dirt. But they have played a grapefruit and a volleyball so far. So that, you know, they're going to get tested. They're not going to be just, un, you know, ridiculous. But this season opens up for Alabama, and the pieces are there. The ingredients are coming together. And one of the things y'all didn't talk about that I think is worth discussing, Nick Saban seems to be having fun and enjoying coaching this group of kids. That should tell you something as we sit heading into the bye week uh, with LSU looming, Drew. Well, it also tells you Wild Turkey's not the defensive coordinator because if he had been, Alabama probably likely 
doesn't win the game yesterday. Uh, but they, I thought Coach Steele, Coach T. Rob, they made some outstanding adjustments in their own right now. I thought, you know, Coach Heifel called a great, you know, as I said at the start of the show, a great first half. Now, the second half was an abomination. I mean, I don't know. He did try a little bit of the quick game, but Alabama defended it a lot better. But he still kind of got away with from what would, had helped them, the, the short, you know, controlled passing game. I just felt like he kind of got away from it uh, for whatever reason. They, they were so fixated on running the football, and I felt like coming in Alabama would slow it down, and they did. Um, you know, and so they never could get Milton back into a rhythm, I, even though I thought he played pretty well, even he still found a way to make some plays in the second half. But I thought overall Alabama clamped them pretty well. And really the biggest play of the second half, uh, you know, was the strip sack because it and uh, the scoop and score with Jihad uh, off of Braswell sack because, you know, they were just able uh, to extend the lead to 34 to 20. And I felt like with it just took the air out of Tennessee. Now, Kool-Aid, the only black mark in the second half was, again, the, the the mystery with him not being able to catch a punt all of a sudden and having the yips. Uh, you know, it, it just looks like almost like a Steve Sachs, Chuck Knobloch, Mark Holler's baseball situation to equate it to where all of a sudden you can't throw the ball to first or throw a pitch over the plate. This kid who's always loved the lights, all of a sudden he can't catch a punt, and it – you know, Al, it cost Alabama 20 yards late. Luckily, they still were able to, you know, uh, move the football a little bit, get it away from the goal line. But, you know, it could have been a disaster. So, I think what they've got to do is either have some come to Jesus with Kool-Aid and really work him hard, you know, in the uh, in, uh, on this in the bye week, or they need to open audition it, you know, Bond, Kendrick Law. Law would be my choice. I love his toughness. I love the way he runs it because it's really – not about position with DB or wide receiver or whatever running back as a punt returner. It's more about mental toughness and mentality. And, you know, Eddie Jackson was great at it. Uh, you know, of course, Javier Arenas, who I think is the second best in history. And then Williams' old teammate, David Palmer, is the greatest I've ever seen simply just because of his ability to make you miss in a phone book. And then what William will tell you is, and I never did. Maybe William saw him do it in practice. I never saw dudes drop a punt ever i mean he had the best set of hands of anybody i've ever seen in my life and hand-eye coordination and so they've got to fix that because william if when you're playing a team like lsu you can't give up field position like that with an offense that can you know that can score like they can and then their defense is not great but you can't help them by making yourself go an extra 20 yards yeah, no, and, and I tell you, I don't know, I get you and Thomas to chime in on this, but, but I, I, I don't know why we haven't seen more of Law. And yeah. And I, I was very excited to see the jet sweep to him. But, man, once he turned that corner, I was like, is that Kendrick Law? Is that Derrick Henry? Um, you know, because he's such a big, you know, bulky wide receiver. He's not a, you know – the Smitty by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, had a better burst than I remember him having. Um, but, but I, I just, I, to me, the difference between, and, and I know you can't play like this um, in a lot of cases on offense, but I mean, outside of Burton, um, you know, JC Latham, I see, I see it a little bit out of Robertson Booker as well, but the thing that I love about this defense is, 
and, and, and you know, it's not elite yet, but by right. God, it's trending in that it's trending in that direction. But but man, at, at every level, um, and you see those guys playing balls to the wall when somebody else makes a play. You know, they got people running up to them celebrating it. Um, you know, I don't know if y'all have seen the stat line, but you know, Chris Braswell's about to tie uh, Dallas Turner in sacks. Um, you, you know, that they, they just really have um, you know, the 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 gap that, that and the and the angle that uh Campbell took on the fourth down stop. Um you, you know, the, you just see all the players at their different positions playing just very instinctual football. And, you know, we haven't seen that in a long time in an Alabama defense. And I think we all know why. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that the the T-Rob, Kevin Steele marriage, um, whatever the arrangement is, um, has really benefited this defense. Um, you, you don't see or hear any of the players talking about playing with anxiety or their nerves or anything like that. I mean, they just go out there and make plays. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, Tim Keenan on the defensive line, Justin Abogby, uh, Big Baby Otis, you know, was a factor again yesterday. Um, it's, it's just fun to watch. Um, but they just, uh, you know, the um, – you know, the pass that Lawson tipped that possibly saved another touchdown. Um, you know, that guy just shows up when, when he's needed. Um, it's just fun to watch, man. I mean, that, that to me, the sack, scoop, and score sequence yesterday was as excited about an individual Alabama football play as I've been in a long time, and it was great to see. Oh, it really was. You could see it, you know happening because it's just one of those things where you know and coach Saban made a great point about it on his coach's show about it being the play of the game because um Trey Amos who had to come in because Terry Arnold got a concussion and wasn't cleared and missed the rest of the game missed about half the game he uh he he did a great job in coverage he made Joe Milton double clutch when he double clutched you could see Braswell coming around and I was like, man, if he just gets there, he's going to strip the ball. I was just hoping Alabama would recover it, but it took a perfect bounce. Jihad's a great athlete. We'd already seen what he did at Mississippi State when uh, Lawson couldn't play. And so he scoops it and scores. And for Alabama to get a quick score like that and go up by, you know, 14 was just huge. I thought it deflated Tennessee the rest of the game. Uh, They knew they were in trouble. And there was only about seven minutes on the clock. And, William, you know, with these new clock rules, that really a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter makes it hard to catch you. And so once Alabama was able to, you know, uh, do that and, 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 and extend the lead to two scores, I thought it was outstanding. And I wanted to touch on something with you a little bit because it goes back to your point about this defense rounding into elite territory. You probably remember this because you were a part of it. But I just the thing that, you know, that uh, struck me, you know, and I started thinking about this even after your comment just a minute ago about how this this group defensively isn't isn't elite yet, but they're getting damn close. I remember when you were part of the program in 89, Alabama had an elite offense, really fun to watch under Coach Smith defense under Don Lindsay was, you know, feast or famine, gave up a lot of points and yards. 
Then Coach Stallings comes in. He changes the systems on both sides of the ball. You have Brother Oliver defensively, Jeff Rousey, you know, guys, Coach Mike DeBose on the defensive line. You guys had a completely different staff, you know, Ellis Johnson on defense. And the thing is, what I were, and I was going to ask you, how long did it take you guys to figure out? Well, first of all, I mean, a lot of the offensive struggles in 90 had to do with Saran going down, Craig Sanderson, Wembley. A lot of those guys got hurt, and the, and the offense really didn't fit Gary as, as well, Gary Hollingsworth, that is. But how long did it take for you guys early to figure out that the defense was undergoing a transformation and was going to be elite? And everybody found that out, ironically, in my favorite Tennessee memory, the 9-6 to Philip Doyle game in Neyland Stadium when Tennessee was ranked in the top five in the country and was supposed to whitewash Alabama. But how did you guys when, – when did that transformation – when did you start seeing it? How quickly? Well, it's, it's it, and, and you basically hit the – the first part of my answer, Drew, um, you know, from a talent level on paper, you know, and I tell people that I've been telling this same story since 1990. You know, we had no business beating that Tennessee team. I mean, it was balls to the wall, stacked too deep with NFL talent. And in fact, I'll never forget going out there for warmups and the strength and conditioning coach wandering up there when we were chatting for a second. And I said, Hey, LeBaron, talking about LeBaron for others. Yeah. yeah. I said, how come we don't look like their offensive line? I mean, they were just <laughs> monsters. And, uh, but, but I think that game, if this is kind of in a, a three part answer, I think that 1990 um, game from a defensive perspective was kind of the, the hinting of, of things to come um, because there were still some pieces um, that, that weren't in place yet. Um, and, and really the next piece was the following spring when John Copeland came back from junior college. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to tell you straight up when, when he got there and then this was why that defense was so good. Um, you know, if, if if his name was called, you had people on the other side of the ball like me fighting to go against him for a rep. I could do whatever I wanted with him that first spring. Fast forward to August, everybody was hiding into the back of the line, the line and wanted no part of him. <laughs> and and so you 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 had that just you know just still to this day that 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 you know just mystery abortion against Florida in, in game two of the 91 season, you know, and then we didn't lose another ball game until I think LSU in 93. So it, it, it was, you saw the kind of the core of it drew, I think come together and don't forget, we, you know, we uh, defensively shut down a pretty talented Auburn offense um, at the end of the night, you know, to, to break that losing streak, we thought we'll just skip right over the fiasco bowl against Louisville. Um, but, but I think it was the UT game in 90, you know, the, the coming home of John Copeland in the spring of 91. And, and let me tell you something. I have never seen a position coach. And don't get me wrong. He had a pretty good piece of clay to mold and work with. Uh, but I've never seen a player go from being just kind of a – you could see, I mean, you could tell he had damn long arms, he could run, you know, he was quick twitch. But, I mean, from 
the April of 91 until August of 91. I mean, it was like a night and day difference. And that's just how good, I mean, I watched him do it with Jeremy Nunley. You know, the list goes on and on. Um, he was the best defensive line coach in college football in the early 90s. But uh, it was it was kind of three parts. It was, you know, that 90 UT game post the Florida abortion in 91. And after that, man, I mean, those guys, you know, people always want to talk about some of these great, you know, Nick Saban defenses. And don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of them. And I know the game is different now from an offensive perspective. But nobody's ever going to top that 92 defense from a statistical standpoint. I mean, I think they gave up nine points a game, maybe like 60 yards rushing a game on the year. Um, I mean, there just wasn't a whole hell of a lot. I mean, I would hate to see what the the turnover ratio was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Eric, 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 Eric uh, Curry and John Copeland played a big part in how good those DBs looked because the quarterbacks didn't have two seconds to get rid of the ball. And they so didn't have to blitz. That, that to oh. me, yeah. No, I mean, you know what? So this is another thing I don't think a lot of people realize. Nine times out of ten, they could run a three-man front with Copeland, Nunley, and Curry and get pretty much all the pressure that you wanted. And if that wasn't working, you know, they'd walk London up outside, and by God, when they went to a four-man front, it was Katie bar the door. Um, and so I'm not trying to get into a comparison to what I'm seeing now versus back then, but I think that's a great question that you asked because I don't think you're going to ever see this bunch um, – you know, reach that level just because of the way offensive are, offenses are in today's game and the quarterback talent that you see week in and week out. But you can certainly see the 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 unit. I mean, they, they play together. You can tell they care about each other. Doing their jobs the right way is important to them. I do see a lot of the characteristics, same characteristics out of this bunch at each level of that defense that I saw out of the 92 group. And, I mean, that's some great analysis right there from William, who uh, lived it right there. Uh, but uh, And I also say this, too. I I, I just I, – and I know, I know I've been a frequent critic of Pete Golding, and he, he did a, a good job. He just wasn't elite at what he did. I, I've, I see elite, you know, work out of this group now with, um, you know, with Coach T. Rob, Travarius Robinson, and uh, Kevin Steele. I think they've done an outstanding job. And another thing that was pointed out to me yesterday uh, by somebody that I, I trust is, uh, and he was with Coach Steele at Auburn, and he's really helping the D-line and Freddie Roach, is they have a, a GA from Auburn, Gary Walker, who, worked very, who played oh, yeah. with Steele, and he worked with him. And I think that's William part of the defensive line improvement we've seen. Well, and that's really, Drew, the two things that reminds me the most about this year's group and that 92 group is the pass rush and the short yardage stops. Yeah. Um, you know, w- when they got to get pressure, they get it. And I mean, Steele brings the house. Uh, you, you don't see the two blitzers seek out a pass blocker to engage. Um, I mean, they're, they're heat seeking missiles coming up the middle uh, or coming off the corner. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the two things about this bunch. Um, that, that is the most fun for me to watch is, is the pass rush 
And, man, when it's third and one, fourth and one, buddy, I, I don't even know why some of these teams try it. Yeah, I mean, it, I I'd take my, I'd take my three, I'd, I'd take my three points and head to the sideline. Or, I mean, or if you're high well, you should have punted a couple times and played to your defense. I mean, I've, well, well, Absolutely. Kenny Dillingham did the same damn thing. I was up late last night watching Arizona State and watching. They're up seven to six. He's got a you know extra point, you know length field goal, and he could still be up ten six and have all the momentum. He goes for it on fourth and three, and it turns into a pick six. And the rest of the damn fourth quarter is just a uh, an avalanche. I just I don't understand all these coaches that stick to analytics like. Heupel does it, Lane Kiffin does it, and it drives me crazy. Just some of the coaching decisions are not sound. You still got to play the percentages at times. You can't. Now I know Nick Saban goes for it on fourth down some, and usually chooses the right time to do it. But too many of these head coaches, William, just take unnecessary gambles, in my opinion, and they end up backfiring. And I thought Heupel in the second half, I thought he did some really stupid things from a from a uh, just a strategic standpoint that gave Alabama a lot of momentum too. No, he did. And and it was kind of like Drew watching the, the, the disaster transfer from one side to the other from the first half to the second half, you know, as brilliant as Heifel was in the first half, um, you know, a lot of it was diminished by that performance in the second half. And don't get me wrong. The Alabama defense played a big part in that, but I, I do I do respect uh, Heupel as a as a schemer and a play caller, and he's obviously a a pretty damn good quarterback coach on top of it. But it it, it was um, you, you know he came out he he had the game plan um, as far as preparation during the week and what he schemed up and um, scripted uh, in the first half, but. He severely got out coached with halftime adjustments yesterday in a big way. And it was good to see because I haven't seen the Alabama staff, um, you know, especially on both sides of the ball equally. Um, I haven't seen that in quite some time. Yeah, no question. And so uh, it was huge for Alabama to get the win uh, and to uh, move on and to move up to seven and one. And, now they're heading into the bye. You know, uh, Malachi Moore, who played and gutted it out, said that it was much needed. I mean, this has been an eight-game grind for Alabama. Uh, now they get the chance to play the most dangerous opponent of the season, quite frankly. And no disrespect to Texas, who's already beaten Alabama. But right now, it's funny when you catch teams. But LSU, Jaden Daniels, he's playing better, in my opinion, than Quinn Ewers. Uh, and Texas had a lot of offensive weapons. Jatavian Sanders, Xavier Worthy. Uh, you know, they they had, they had guys, A.D. Mitchell, uh, that could absolutely play. Uh, they had, you know, uh, weapons all over the place. But this LSU offense, you know, they've got Brian Thomas Jr., who Alabama recruited. Uh, they've got, uh, you know, uh, certainly Malik Neighbors. They've got uh, Kyron Lacey, who's picked it up, played better. Hinton is a pretty good player, pretty good receiver. They've got Mason Taylor, Logan Diggs. This is an offense with really out of weakness and, and a pretty good offensive line, probably a better offensive line, uh, especially at left tackle, uh, than the Alabama has seen. So they're going to have to score points. Uh, they were able to manufacture some yesterday. But offensively, Thomas, I know you're a, an analytics and a numbers guy, but Alabama is going to have to put four quarters together. And, and to me, 
I think you've kind of hinted at this in the show, but I think it's going to take at least 35 points to beat LSU. I think you're going to have to get into that conversation, Drew. The, the thing about this LSU Tigers offense is it's good everywhere. I mean, if if the notion was you, – you look at an offense. You look at, you look at any unit in football, really. Excuse me. You generally have, like, one thing that is below normal or below average or below something that you can exploit. And, you know, you can always have the truisms of most quarterbacks hate A-gap pressure. Daniels doesn't like it either, but Daniels has enough elusiveness in the pocket that if you send, you know, cross-dog blitzes and you don't get home, you're going to have a bad time. But the LSU offense, just from a pure statistical perspective, is passing at an absolutely elite level and running at an elite level. And that's been against pretty much everybody. Now, looking at it defensively, I mean, LSU's best unit is against the run at 76th in the country. So not exactly anything crazy there. I will say LSU's defense is unfortunately struggling with the notion (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> this is funny. Struggling because Ole Miss put up 700 yards on that defense. And anytime you drop a 700 burger, your stats go completely insane. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's it, it really breaks things, even in an eight-game sample. So some of that gets averaged down, but by and large, no. So honestly, when you talk about this LSU team, first off, I agree with the notion that Alabama, any any team, and this happens every year, any team that is at this point is going to come in and that team is going to be tired after eight weeks. Okay, we got to get our – we got that handled. So now we got to get healthy. So Alabama will be playing at a higher level than they've been playing. But if I'm this Alabama team – I look at what the LSU defense has really given up, and I try and lean on the running game a little bit. I want to play keep away from Jaden Daniels. You want to talk about, you know, Drew, I think you're right, 35 points is kind of, this This is kind of a race to first to 35. But what does it look like to hold this LSU team to, let's call it 28. Let's just call it, let's call it 28 and build this argument back from there. It's going to take extreme differences in time of possession. You know, you're talking 40-20 Alabama to LSU. I don't know if keep away – I'm not sure it won't work, honestly. Now, if it doesn't, like let's say that not first half Alabama, but first quarter Alabama from uh, against Tennessee comes out. And LSU's up 14-17, 17-7 coming out of the first quarter. And, like, it's time to go. It is time to let her rip, tater chip. We are going to win this game on Jalen Milrow's arm and Jace McClellan's legs. Let's just say that's the thing. Well, LSU's pass defense is 94th in the country. 94th. Scares absolutely nobody. And if you do opponent adjustments, they're almost dead last. So, you know, suddenly the question, the question becomes, it's twofold. Does Alabama's defense, are they good enough to make LSU 
to stop LSU, to hold them to field goals more often than not. They're not good enough. I don't think there's an, a defense in college. I'm not sure there's a defense in the NFL, quite frankly, that's good enough to make the LSU offense inefficient for four quarters. But I think Alabama's defense is good enough to do some things so that LSU's not just going to be up and down the field like they were against Ole Miss. So I think that's going to happen. The other part of this question, though, is, is the LSU defense bad enough that the Alabama offense can hit another level of efficiency? You know, when, when I say another level of efficiency, can Alabama run for five yards a carry when you factor in sack yardage? Can Alabama, you know, can Jalen Milrow read and complete short to intermediate passes, which is still his Achilles heel? And if fans want to know what I mean, Watch the fourth quarter. You know, Alabama's trying to salt this game away. They've got a lead. Happy days. You know, dance on tables, cheering. And Jalen Milrow across the middle, particularly about 15 yards down the field, is throwing high to people. He did it three or four times. He's going to do it three or four times against LSU. But if he can get that down to one to two and keep Alabama on the field, you know, suddenly we play keep away, but it's efficient keep away. That's what it's going to take against this LSU group. I'm not willing to say they're the most dangerous team that Alabama has played. Frankly, I think I would. I think Texas would smoke LSU. LSU wants absolutely no part of that Texas team with a healthy Quinn Ewers because the things that LSU does badly, Steve Sarkeesian would just be like, "Oh, you have a crappy back end. Xavier Worthy's going to go for 300." He would. He Steve Sarkeesian would do to the LSU secondary, what he did with Devontae Smith against the Ohio State Buckeyes in the national championship game. Anyway, that doesn't mean that this group, this LSU team, is not going to present some very unique challenges for this Alabama group. And I don't know what the line is. The line won't come out until we record next Sunday. And I'm going to put some time in to actually, you know, dig into my stats and happy days and all of that. I'm just looking at the top-level sprinkling. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this game is under a touchdown line and realize the Tennessee game was seven and a half or eight. And, you know, that was honestly pretty close. I mean, the Alabama offense scored 27, the Tennessee offense scored 20, and then you had a random sprinkling scoop and score, which you can't really – you're not going to make a bet off of the defense will score a touchdown to cover. Or if you're doing that, uh, I have a sports book. It's called my wallet, so I'll just take your money and run. But anyhow, you know, all joking aside, I think the line will be under a touchdown, and I think we're looking at first to 35, first to, first to 38, and back and forth. I can tell you, if Alabama comes out and this defense is able to really put the clamps on the LSU offense for large swaths of the game, that could be the defense's coming out party. I'm not willing to say that, though, because truly, this LSU offense is really, really good. Their lowest point total of the year was a fluky game against Arkansas. Otherwise, they're in the 40s or the 50s in every, well, and Florida State, but Florida State was first week of the year, and the wide receiver, the LSU wide receivers had a case of the dropsies, which is bizarre. But Anyway, you know, you're talking about an offense that's pretty consistently, you know, in the 40s. They're second in the country at 44 points a game. All right, first to 35. The statistics are there, though, that suggest Alabama can do it. But honestly, if I were to to guess about how this game would go, my assumption would be 
first to 35, first to 38 wins because the LSU offense is that good. The Alabama defense, I also think, is that good. But do those two cancel each other out enough to give the Alabama offense a chance against a very vulnerable LSU group, Drew? Yeah, and I think William would agree with me here. The key is going to be Alabama getting off to a fast start offensively. William kind of talked about it. These first quarter starts and uh, and, and first halves have just been maddening. They're going to have to, you know, start the game and get Milrow in a rhythm. And honestly, what Heifel did to get, uh, you know, uh, you know, excuse me, Milrow in a rhythm, but what uh, Heifel did to get um, Joe Milton in a rhythm, I really liked. And I think hopefully it's going to, you know, there's going to be some confidence built with Breeze and Milrow working together the way they did in this last game and doing some different things. And hopefully it will help them get off to a quicker start against LSU. Who, LSU, let's, let's also admit something, uh, something else. They're not as good defensively as Tennessee. So hopefully this would allow Alabama to get off to a quicker start. But William, getting Milrow into a rhythm and using him as a runner and passer and then and then starting quickly to give the defense a chance to settle in. And, and with it, because I mean, if you can get two or three stops against LSU, that would be huge compared to what you, what you uh, faced uh, during this uh, earlier part of the season. I mean, let's not forget they did hold Texas to 13 through three quarters. So, but they, the offense kind of sputtered in that game. The key William is going to be starting fast offensively, I think against LSU and, and building off what you said they did in the second half against Tennessee yesterday. Well, I mean, I, I got to be honest, you know, and, and to me, I, th- I think the shine um, is, is starting to wear off of the Texas Longhorns a little bit. Damn, Daner Hogerson should have beaten them yesterday. Yeah. Um, and, and, and going back to Alabama, you know, if there's two things I would love to see Tommy Reese and Jalen Milrow, because I was proud of number four in the second half yesterday, and and, and the yes. you know one of his yes. you know, one of one of his two biggest criticisms, I thought he answered it with authority. You know, he was a willing runner in the second half, and I'm not saying he was Jackson Jackson Dart and lowering his head and trying to run over people, but he wasn't shying away from contact either. So. Right. Those are two boxes that I can check that I couldn't until the fourth quarter yesterday. Uh, but the two things that I would love to see them just focus on is, you know, and I, know, and I totally agree with Thomas's assessment. And, and I, I don't know if the, the, the way the ball sails on him over the middle is correctable in two weeks. That's more of an off-season correction of mechanics. But I know one thing that can be. If if he will just even start looking to his left or the right and the flats to wide open running backs that don't have anybody within 20 yards of them on on you know passing downs where stuff isn't you know the obvious stuff isn't open and and check down and dump it off to those running backs that that could be a huge factor in Alabama being able to keep pace against LSU and and also too. I'm I'm not willing to – I mean, am I concerned about the the LSU offense? Absolutely. Um, you know, as good as Jaden Daniels is at quarterback, they've got a left tackle in Will Campbell that could start for anybody in the country. Yeah. Um, and some really good – and some really good wide receivers. 
But, you know, Kevin Steele's got a pretty good track record, um, you know, at slowing down dual threat quarterbacks, um, not just at Alabama, but in his previous stops. And, you know, he's got the athleticism, I think, um, you know, at inside and outside linebacker to, you know, maybe stop some of those damn, you know, caboose level size holes from opening up where Daniels can just get the easy, cheap 20-yard pickups when he scrambles. Um, but, you know, this this isn't an unwinnable game by any stretch of the imagination for Alabama. They just can't afford like we've, you know, beat it into the ground this, this whole show. They just can't afford to be a non-factor for two quarters in the first half like they were against Tennessee. You know, if they can play three quarters like they did, um, you know, against Tennessee in the second half yesterday, um, this, this might have a, a really nice outcome for Alabama. And, you know, you're starting to see, you know, I, I think, you know, um, Milrose still got some growing to do, but he is improving. And, and if you aren't willing to admit that, then you need to look at your own self in the mirror. Um, but, but, you know, if he can continue to grow, if the offensive line can continue to get better, um, you know, we, I, I saw multiple times yesterday, you know, hell, I could have thrown that pass to uh, Bond when I was 22 years old. Hell, he was eight yards on the other. You know, there wasn't a DB within eight yards of him yesterday when he caught that pass. You know, that is one thing I'll say about Reese. He's done a really good job of, of scheming wide receivers to just get wide slap open. And, and I think he's got a pretty talented wide receiver room to do that with. But that's going to be at a premium, um, you know, a week from Saturday to make this. And I think Alabama will have some success running the football. And, and I want to see more of the third and fourth quarter version of Tommy Reese's playbook versus the Gene Stallings playbook that he's been using prior to the second half um, against Tennessee yesterday. I mean, you know, he, he allowed Jalen Milrow to start trying to improvise a little bit, you know, with rolling out. And if the force man came up, he dumped it off to a receiver, um, you know, designed quarterback runs. Um, you know, it, it was just you, you kind of sat there and scratched your head and were like, where's this been? Um, so, you know, I, I think this is, you know, like, like Thomas said, we'll, we'll dig a little bit deeper, um, you know, into LSU next week. But I, I certainly think if Alabama can work out some more of the kinks, get a little bit better offensively, um, you know, during the off week, and as long as the Alabama front seven just doesn't lose, you know, uh, you know, leverage and, and gap control and, and keeps Jade and Daniels in front of them. And it just doesn't give them the stuff that a lot of other teams have, which is just, you know, 20 to 30 yard chunk plays that he's picked up on his legs when the, uh, you know, when wide receivers weren't open. I mean, I think this is going to be a good ball game unless the first half repeats itself from Tennessee. Yeah, I would agree, William. No doubt about it. I think. Well, no well, let me jump in and, and just say something. Ahead, Thomas, yeah. I, I I don't want listeners to think Alabama has no shot against LSU. No, no. I, I just think that this challenge is uniquely different because of how statistically astounding LSU's offense is. LSU's offense is going. 
is kind of will give you flashes of the 2020 Alabama group where they can have a set of plays and in five minutes it can go from a tight game to over. And they're um, they're not totally unique in college football, but they're among the best in doing that. But please go ahead, Drew. No, I mean, I hey, Thomas, just... I don't want you to think I don't want you to think that that's the picture I was trying to paint. That, that you didn't think there was, you know, look, I have no idea how you coach a wide receiver unit to do this, but it drives me nuts every time I watch them play. But, you know, that Daniels will throw a 20-yard back shoulder to the far left sideline. Every one of their wide receivers will catch that pass, plant one foot in the ground, and start going diagonally 47 yards across the other side of the field and, and makes everybody miss on their way to a touchdown. I mean, it's it's really – a unique thing. And I totally agree with you, man. It's uh it's it's basketball on grass right now or artificial turf with some of the stuff that you've seen from this unit. Um and, but I, I I think Alabama has the talent and and for the first time in a long time the coaches that can make these adjustments and scheme up a good plan to try and they're not going to shut them out. But I do think they have a chance to slow it down. No question and I guess, and uh, and as we're uh, winding down this uh, edition of BAMS Radio, uh, I'll just say I, I I totally concur with William. I was very proud of, you know, of the entire coaching staff, and I paid, you know, homage to him on X, Twitter, whatever the hell you call it. But uh, I just said, you know, I thought it was great adjustments by, you know, Coach Saban, Tommy Rees, uh, Wolford, uh, you know, and, of course, T-Rob. Uh, and uh, and uh, no doubt uh, Kevin Steele. I mean, they just did a great job in the second half. I was proud of Milrow because he's not perfect. He does need to start moving his head more, looking to the left. But he's still very young in his starting career. Uh, he has talent. He has a hand cannon. Uh, he has the ability to fit the ball in, in tight windows. He just needs to get better at processing quicker, getting rid of the ball quicker, and you know, being more accurate and anticipating throwing the ball on time, uh, you know, and just get the ball out and you and be a willing runner. And William's right. He was. He tried to deal some misery. Just keep growing as a quarterback. And I think people were quick to judge Tommy Rees. I think they were quick to, uh, you know, and I, I, I and I was guilty of this, too, with the way, uh, you know, I, I thought early that they should have been totally RPO based, uh, totally, uh, you know, with with Milrow, totally uh, with the zone read. But I think. He, he wasn't comfortable running that at first. He made some strides with it. Nick Saban talked about it at the end of yesterday's game, saying once he got a feel for it, he was better. It's almost like they've had to do it in reverse. They've had to, uh, you know, spoon feed him a little bit. Uh, he wants to be a pocket QB, which he's not. But like William also rightly pointed out, they started moving the pocket some too, getting him into a rhythm, which I thought was good in the second half. And I think overall, he's been still better at improvisational running. But he got a little bit better in this last game with his own read. And maybe you just have to do it in reverse. Let him be an improvisational runner and then start trying to mold him a little bit. And that's to Reed's credit. Hopefully it'll continue. Now, it won't be any easier on us. We all need nerve medication, alcohol or whatever, because it drives us nuts at times to watch. But he is, you know, the, the best option for this team right now. Ty Simpson. Uh, did not help himself, did not win this job, did not win this team. Milrow has done it. So we just have to see how much they can grow in this off week. And it's a huge test against LSU. Uh, but, you know, William was right. I mean, Brian Denny was rocking. 
Uh, it should be rocking again for LSU. It should be an unbelievable atmosphere. I've been there for some of those games. I will be there in Tuscaloosa for this game. I'm totally looking forward to it. Uh, should be a great one, great one to watch. Jaden Daniels, I, I give him all the props. I mean, he's outstanding. Uh, you know, Coach Kelly's done a great job at LSU. And so it's going to be a heck of a, a matchup. It's probably the winner is probably going to end up in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And this Alabama team has earned their opportunity and has put themselves in this position. And now defensively, I think they have the talent to slow this LSU offense down enough to give Alabama a chance to win. But we will certainly see. Uh, and again, huge shout out to Will Reichert uh, as he continues to climb the record books. He was perfect again yesterday. Made up for that 50-yard miss a year ago with the 50-yard make, and I know he was very emotional about that. You know, love Will Reichert. I hope he breaks the NCAA record. Uh, but And then we should be able to talk some hoops next week. Alabama is supposed to play TCU today in Birmingham in a secret scrimmage. Uh, they're going to be uh, playing Wake Forest at Wake next Sunday. That game will be on the radio. We may delay BAM's radio a little bit so we can listen to that, but we are going to record it next Sunday. We'll just have to work that out between the three of us. But I'll have to see how early that Wake Forest-Alabama game is. And I may also get to be, be watching Alabama practice on Friday before they leave for that game on Sunday. So I'll have some observations about hoops as well. They had two big official visitors in basketball. We'll have some maybe some news coming out about those two cats. Darion Reed, the combo forward from Prolific Prep. They already have his teammate, Aiden Sherrill, committed, who's a center. And then Billy Richmond. Uh, from Camden, New Jersey. He was on campus as well. So Alabama under Nate Oates and that new staff trying to build a great recruiting class and will certainly uh, have uh, some news uh, potentially on basketball uh, in the next show as well, as well as continuing to dive in uh, to this LSU-Alabama uh, matchup. But it's been a great show today. It's always great to beat Tennessee. Uh, they Alabama's now won 16 out of 17. And uh, uh, I'm sure now a big part of the of the uh, stocking stuffers for Vol fans for this Christmas will be buying DVDs of last year's game so they can drown their sorrows after getting their ass eviscerated in the second half. So uh, we uh, we appreciate everybody for supporting us. I know we've had people giving us, you know, making the donations through Patreon. We continue to appreciate that. We continue to appreciate the listeners. Uh, asking questions and uh, being very uh, interactive with us and uh, we wouldn't be here without y'all and uh, i appreciate william and thomas taking time out of their schedules to join us but i hope everybody enjoys the rest of their sunday and enjoy this bye week and reveling uh with your cigar or whatever else in uh, knowing that the tennessee vols are miserable right now because they got their ass whipped 34 to 20 uh but uh for william redfish barger for thomas the wizard watts i am drudy armand and we'll talk to you next Sunday. Have a great rest of your week, everybody, and roll tide.